A reading from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. During these midweek Lenten services, we've heard God's word on the subject of repentance. We've seen what repentance looks like and what are its fruits. To wrap up this discussion of repentance, I'd like to talk today about living a life of repentance. A life of repentance. That's what Paul is describing in Romans chapter 6. 
The first part of the passage that you heard is usually read at funerals, at the point at which the casket is covered with the funeral pall in remembrance of baptism. This is what we say. In holy baptism, so-and-so was clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness that covered all his sin. St. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We say those words at the beginning of the funeral when we cover the casket with a funeral pall in remembrance of baptism. It's a garment like the garment that is put on a baptismal candidate, a white, clean garment showing the new life, the cleanliness, the purity of heart that's given to the Christian in baptism. And we read that passage from Romans, Romans chapter 6. But what's startling about that passage at a funeral is that while it talks about death, It's not talking about the death that we see before our eyes, in the casket, in the body of our loved one. Instead, in Romans chapter 6, Paul is talking about a death that already happened before this person breathed his last. It's talking about a death that happened in baptism. Baptism is death and burial. While on the one hand, to our eyes, obviously baptism signifies a washing, it also much more dramatically signifies a drowning. It recalls these important Bible stories like the flood and Israel's crossing of the Red Sea. In the flood, the waters that covered the earth drowned wicked mankind. God was grieved because the wickedness of man was great in the earth And every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so God sent the flood, which wiped out wicked mankind, drowned them all, except for Noah and his family, eight souls in all. They were saved. They were given a new life in a new creation. It's a similar story for Israel crossing the Red Sea. They were slaves to wicked Pharaoh and the hosts of Egypt. When Israel arrived at the Red Sea, hotly pursued by the army of Pharaoh, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and God drove back the waters so that Israel could walk safely through them on dry ground with unmoistened foot, as the hymn goes. But when the Egyptian forces arrived, the waters went back and drowned the chariots and horsemen. They covered them all. The water, which meant death for the wicked, meant life and freedom for God's people. All of that is captured in baptism, which drowns the sinner so that a new person can arise and live before God. It happens the same way that it happened during the flood and at the Red Sea, by water and God's word. In baptism, it's invisible, however. You can't see it. It's a matter of faith, trusting what God has said about baptism. Like when he says through St. Peter, baptism which corresponds to the flood, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
That appeal for a good conscience is so important and at the heart of repentance. For the sinner, the sinner who knows God's law and who knows that the wages of sin and death, that sinner, on his own, cannot have a good conscience. Think about what that's like. What's it like to have a bad conscience? It's knowing that you've done something wrong and it's just a matter of time before someone finds out. Or you've done something wrong and no one will ever find out, but you can't shake that feeling of guilt. You know, you know that you've done something wrong. It's that experience which everyone has on the scale of universal justice with God as a judge. It's one thing to be guilty in the eyes of men, but when you realize that you're guilty before the all-seeing, all-powerful God, you cannot have a good conscience. It's the feeling that Adam and Eve had when they heard God walking in the cool of the garden, and so they hid. There are lots of ways that people try to atone for their sins, but one of the problems with sin is that it does irreparable damage. Sometimes there are grave consequences, to to murder, for instance, but even sins that seem trivial in comparison with murder, those sins result in a loss of trust. They result in a debt that cannot be repaid. And so atonement, as much as we'd like to make atonement for our sins, atonement is impossible for sinners. You cannot undo what has been done. And so it seems that you're bound to have a bad conscience. The only way a person can have a good conscience is with a clean start, free from the infection of sin that led to such crimes in the first place. The only way that can happen The only way you can have a good conscience and a clean heart is by death and resurrection. That is the only way the debt can be erased. For the corruption of sin runs so deep that in order for it to be rooted out of you, you need a brand new heart. Your old heart needs to be put to death. It needs to stop beating. It needs to stop driving sin throughout your person. You need to be put to death. And that is what happens in baptism. Miraculously, wondrously, unbelievably. In fact, we wouldn't believe it because we can't see it. We wouldn't believe it but for the power of the Holy Spirit who testifies that in baptism you are brought into Christ. You were baptized into Christ. So whatever goes for him goes for you. He died the death of a sinner And so have you. He was buried, and so were you. He rose from the dead, and so have you already. Think of that. The thing that terrifies people most, death and the grave. You've already been through it. You're on the other side of it. The death that you'll die in your body, which is still a real consequence of sin, that death has become, for you, a slumber, a sleep harmless, innocuous. By baptism into Christ's death, you've become immune to death. That is why Jesus can say what he said on Sunday, whoever keeps my words will never see death. He can promise that because he has tasted death for us, for those who are in him, for his people whom he keeps safe and secure in the ark whom he leads through the waters on dry ground. He can keep that promise because he has tasted death for you. Do you not know 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Most people live their lives as an effort, one ongoing, continuous effort, just to hold off death for as long as possible. Not us. Not Christians. Not you and me. Why? Because you've already died. You're already living the new life of the resurrection. Incomplete. Not yet in glory. Just a beginning. Until God delivers you from your sinful nature once and for all. You're living that new life of the resurrection now by faith. Really. In fact, without a doubt, you have already died. You are free from sin. And so, until the last day, what shall we do? That was the question of last week. And the answer is to bear fruit. How could we go on sinning since we have died to sin? How could we go on sinning since we have been set free from it? How could we go on sinning since, although we used to be slaves to sin, we are now slaves to righteousness? How could we present our members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness? Much rather, we should present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and our members to God as instruments for, unrighteous, for righteousness. Don't go back through the Red Sea among the dead of Pharaoh's soldiers. Don't go back to Egypt, to slavery, to death. Don't jump from the ark into the waters where wickedness is being drowned. Stay safe and secure and the ark of the church, where God's word floats us safely above the foaming flood below. How? How do we remain with Christ? How do we flee from sin? How do we live as a new creation? Here's how Luther puts it in the small catechism. He first asks, what does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Did you hear that? Just as God gives us daily bread and urges us to consider the needs of today and let tomorrow be anxious for itself, so also we ought daily to take stock, to examine ourselves, our consciences, not once a month, not every other week, not just on Sunday, but daily. For daily, our sinful nature threatens to give us again a bad conscience, to take away from us the good conscience that we, ha we have through baptism into Christ Jesus. It threatens daily to drag us back into our old life, and without daily drowning, it pulls us back into sin and slavery and death. Contrition means sorrow over sin. That doesn't always mean tears. It doesn't always mean strong, overwhelming emotions. But it does mean remorse. It means seeing how God feels about your sin, how it breaks his heart, and how it puts you under his wrath. It means wishing that you hadn't done it, and wishing never to do it again. You wish that you could stop, that you could stop following the desires of your flesh, that your flesh would stop desiring what is contrary to God's law. That is contrition. And it is to the contrite that God gives grace and every blessing. 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. For the one who is contrite, who feels his sin, he is the one who knows his need for mercy, who craves forgiveness and blessing, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He is the one to whom God gives a clean conscience in the blood of Christ Jesus. For all of Christ's righteousness is given to you by faith. To you who long to be pure and holy as God would have you be, Christ's righteousness is yours. And that is part of a life of repentance. It is never losing sight of our daily need to confess and be forgiven and to renew our clean consciences, our good consciences in Christ. It is never losing sight of our daily need to turn again, to return again to the cross. And it is never losing sight of this, That while the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. It's a gift, and it's yours, because God baptized you into Christ's death. Because God adopted you as his beloved child. Because God loves you. It's a free gift. Righteousness and blessedness and sanctification, becoming holier by faith Forgiveness, life, and salvation, they're all yours without you ever having to lift a finger. They're yours because God has chosen to give them to you. They're yours by the death and resurrection of Jesus. They're yours. Hold them fast. Live a life of repentance. Drown your flesh and live a new life and wait patiently, eagerly, for the coming of Jesus. For when he returns... There will no longer be any need to repent. What a wonderful day that will be. You will be glorified. There will no longer be any need to live by faith, for you will see with your resurrected eyes all that God has promised you in Christ Jesus. You will see his salvation. You will see his righteousness and holiness in your body, in your deeds, in your will, in your heart, perfected. You will see it, and you will have a good conscience and a clean heart, never to be stained or defiled again. And in that day, you will know perfectly the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. Until that day, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds. Amen.